0: What is up good citizens of Crypt Nation? It is a wonderful day. Every day is a wonderful day. Everybody's healthy and happy more or less. Uh, Bitcoin just bounced $1,000 in an hour. Today is Friday, uh, October 25th and everybody's happy and uh, I'm joined by my compadre Pizza Mind. What's up brother? Well, it's typical that Bitcoin
1: bounces at the end of the month like this as we have futures contracts expiring pretty soon right. and people are uh, panicking to sell off after that last bump. And we've seen this for about four months in a row now. So I'm on to you, BitMEX whales. You can't <laughs> fool me anymore. I'm and- buying that, tip. I'm <laughs> buying your shitty contracts and I'm making a fat profit.
0: <laughs> Let's rock and roll. And we are joined by an extremely special guest. His name is Uri Klarman. Uh, He is the CEO and the founder of BlocksRoute. So Uri, welcome to Crypt Nation. Welcome to Crypto 101. Thank
2: you so much. Thanks for having me.
0: Yes, and Uri is an expert in literally everything that has to do with blockchain technology. So you guys are gonna have a very special treat. And I'm gonna start off not with asking Uri his background, Um, I'm gonna start off asking Uri, what the hell is a blockchain? Why should we care?
2: That's an excellent question. And thank you for skipping the background. Everybody have heard, oh, tell us how you got into blockchain. Who cares how I got into blockchain? But what is a blockchain? Exactly, you're here and that's all that matters. Right? Like, do you really care what I did at like 2014, 2015 or so? No. Um, But what is a blockchain? And more important, why should we care about blockchain? Is an ex- is an excellent question. So blockchains, forget for a second how the technology works and what it does, which sometimes people overfocus on. The idea is that it does it it allows for something quite unique. It allows for people who don't stand next to each other, who are just like, you know, sending messages to one another, like on the internet or whatnot. They allow them to collaborate without using a single server that supports them, okay? It's not that I control the server the same way that we're now using Zoom, I think. So Zoom has servers, we're all talking and recording this conversation and it goes through their servers and stuff gets done. But the idea is that if somebody holds the servers to some level, he controls everything. He can say, oh, I don't like Bryce anymore and kind of like, okay, not allow you to participate.
0: It's like like that old saying, uh, possession is
2: nine-tenths of the law. Right, so it's nine tenths, but like it's also the tenth tenth if you hold the biggest gun or you have the most money, so it is practically everything, so this example of the kind of video conversation is not that interesting, but how about if you think about um stock exchange or the banking system okay, the banking system it's kind of like with bitcoin being the first example, possibly the most important one, the idea that um, if you're Snowden or something. And then if your money is being held in a system that somebody else controls, then that somebody else can throw you off the system and not allow you or reject you access to your money, et etc. Et so that's the usual example that people say, oh, if I control my money and not somebody else, nobody can throw me out. But there's a more, okay, that's like cool and important. And if you're, I don't know, it rich Asian family that you might be very rich, but that doesn't make your money safe. Because if the government isn't very fair or just, they can just seize everything you have, et cetera, et cetera. But even for more day-to-day examples, if you have two companies that want to do a joint venture, okay, think of two funds, okay, they invest in stuff and they want to do something that they need both of them to do it. But the operation will only happen at one of them, right? Either fund A or fund B. And whoever runs it can screw over the other guy, not pass the money he's supposed to, or whatever are the details. And the other guy can sue him. But if you have any legal background, like the fact that you can sue somebody, doesn't really mean much. It means that it will take many, many years, and you might get it and might not get it. So these you'll two spend a lot theoretic- of money. <laughs> yeah, hey, don't get me started on that. Really, don't get me started how many, how much we're paying for lawyers. But the idea is that. These two funds might decide not to do a joint venture just because they don't have a way to co- collaborate and cooperate in a way that doesn't require one to trust the other. And blockchains allow that. They allow for people to transact or to send or to do all sorts of stuff without placing their trust in the other guy to run the operation. Does that kind of make sense?
0: Oh, yeah, absolutely. That, I think that was a great definition. What do you think, Pete? Did that suffice? Yeah. I mean, just to quickly summarize it, it
1: makes a way of communication happen between two or more parties in a trustless
0: system where no one is in charge or has the advantage over the other. No. Perfectly said. Cool. So so let's talk briefly about the scalability issue with blockchains. What is that issue? If you could distill it down to a couple paragraphs let's let,
2: let's let's talk exactly about that a because that's my job to talk about that and b because it's an important topic so everybody who has been into crypto ever since late 2014 definitely since 2015 everybody are talking scalability problems scalability problems scalability blah 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 and the usual example that people say is that well if bitcoin wants to remove credit card companies and banks and kind of like compete with them. Well, credit card companies are processing 6,000 transactions per second right now on average. They peak at what Alibaba peaked at 325,000 transactions per second in single say uh, two, two years ago. That's for regular transactions, a few thousand transactions per second. If Bitcoin or Ethereum or whatever blockchain want to allow to do microtransactions, transactions of just a few cents that you can't do with credit card companies because the fees are $0.15 per transaction. So you can't do a transaction of $0.03. Cents. If you allow for these, you open the door for all sorts of really, really cool use cases. Think of it as you park your car and rather than open your parking app and pay for an hour and pay $0.30 cents like for a fee, how about the car will just automatically communicate with the meter next to it and pay Every minute, pay like three cents and another three cents, etc. etc. And when you're done, you get into the car and you go, and it no longer pays. And you never have to pay yourself for parking again because it's 2019. We have better stuff to do with our time. So these micropayments require something like 10 times more 50 to 70,000 transactions per second. And if you want to do the really, really cool stuff, okay, all the stuff that people want to do on Ethereum, for example, the decentralized exchanges, right? If you think about a thousand traders trading on a decentralized exchange, and they're not doing full-blown algo trading. Forty thousand transactions per second. They do each hundred transactions per second. That's hundred thousand transactions per second. Like the numbers are huge. They would pretty much swallow any number of transactions per second you'll give them. So that's the need for a transaction: thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. And Bitcoin can do three transactions per second. Now we have SegWit. So it does 4.2 transactions per second. Okay, it's three, four, five orders of magnitude too small. Ethereum is doing nine. Okay, like the, the capacity is just too small. So when we describe what is the scalability problem is why or how can we process much, much larger volume of transaction per second? Does that describe the problem well enough?
0: It does. And and I think from there, we talk about, you know, what are the different approaches to
2: solving this? So even, even prior to talking about, okay, Layer 2 solutions and Lightning, et cetera, I think the one thing that is worth better explaining is what is the bottleneck? Why can't we do more transactions per second? In blockchains, everybody creates transactions and miners listen to these transactions. And every so often, some miner aggregate a bunch of transaction into a block, send it to everybody, and these blocks create the blockchain. Why can't we just do 10 times larger blocks or 100 times larger blocks, which would allow for 100 times more transactions per second, or reduce the time between blocks by 10x or 100x, which will also give 10x or 100x more transactions per second. So why can't we just make the blockchain bigger? So it goes to the small blocker, big blocker, the entire debate. But rather than take sides, I want to ask, let's, let's take this time to better understand what is a problem that needs solving? Well,
0: before you go into that real quick, let's talk about that debate right there. Like, why can't we make a block too big? Is it because th- there's too much like data that would not be able to get sent quick enough? Or is it that it would be centralized control? Like, why
2: can't we just make blocks big? so so it's good that you bring it up because we hear all sorts of arguments and while there is a bottleneck which we're going to talk about in a second there are all sorts of arguments oh we shouldn't allow blocks to be larger because x some silly reason and then some of them are silly um for example people say you shouldn't allow to do larger blocks because then If you run a node at home and you're processing transaction, you won't be able to process them fast enough. So if you run it on a Raspberry Pi, you won't be able to run it. And there is a debate, is it important or not important for people to run their own nodes? But even if you think it does make sense, and they should, well, your home computer can process right now 3,000 transactions per second. If it's mid-grade, if you have Intel's latest i9, it can process 22,000 transactions per second. So this, the ability of your computer to process transactions, isn't it. That isn't the bottleneck. That's not the problem. People also say, oh, if we'll do very large blocks, then you'll have to store all the blockchain since Genesis, and that would require a lot of storage. So maybe that's not good because you won't be able to afford it. Um, which I don't, also don't think it's a good argument why you should scale, because first, storage is super cheap, super, super, super cheap. But if you're that resource constraint that you can't afford a few terabytes of data in your hard drive, well, whoever said you need to store the entire blockchain in your hard drive, you need to know the current state of the blockchain, right? Each one has, and you should have received all the blocks, but who said that you need to no. okay, all the blocks since Genesis until now, all the transactions that happened, everything that led us to this point, you should know what is the current state. You should keep the last five blocks or 10 blocks or 100 blocks, whatever you feel safe with. But if you're that resource constrained that you can't afford that, whoever said you need it in order to operate? So that's another argument that doesn't make a lot of sense. So the arguments generally between small blockers and large blockers is, can we do larger blocks or can't we do larger blocks? And what are the implications? Does that make
0: sense? Yeah, that makes sense to me. Pete, what, did that make sense to you? Yeah, it makes
1: perfect sense. And furthermore, if you're you know capable enough to install a Bitcoin node on a Raspberry Pi, you're plenty of capable enough to get a second or a third or a fourth Pi and scale them together. So as Uri was saying, like that's no good excuse to hold the rest of the world down because one guy doesn't want to buy another $100 worth of hardware.
2: Exactly. And so, and again, there is an argument. We're going to get into, oh, what is the reason? But it's important, I think, for everybody to have a very clear understanding, what is the problem that needs solving? Because then you can address it. You can say, oh, can we, can't we? Is it a good idea? Is it a bad idea? What are the trade-offs? But just throwing... Arguments that don't make sense—it's somewhat annoying. I—it's mean, there, there's something about this culture which which doesn't ring right. Yeah, well, well nerds
1: me. always arguing with each other <laughs> over everything. This is why we can't
2: have nice <laughs> things. Wow. wow, that was so <laughs> insightful. That was very true. Yes. Well, we're all nerds, so we can say that, I suppose. Yeah, I know. I argue with people about stuff all the time. Um, so let's talk. What is the problem? Okay, so so I said, oh, it's not the story. It's not the CPU. So what is the problem? Well, here's the thing. All blockchains, doesn't matter if they're proof of work or proof of stake, or if it's a Bitcoin, the simplest and first blockchain, or Hashgraph Hedera that has a DAG architecture, whatever, it doesn't matter. All of them do the same thing. Somebody in the network creates a new block of transactions, and that block needs to go to everybody else fairly quickly so the next guy whoever that is the next validator or the next miner can create the next block on top of it right so a miner or a validator can't build the next block of the blockchain before receiving the last one so it turns out that this requirement blocks need to go to everybody else fairly quickly that ends up being the bottleneck and why is that because if you take the blockchain okay take bitcoin And just naively, just increase the block size by a factor of 100 from one megabyte to 100 megabytes. Well, now if I'm a miner and I created a 100 megabyte block and I have to send it to my peer, I have to send 100 times more data. And that will take 100 times longer to send it to him and 100 times longer to reach everybody else in the network. So you can do 100 times larger blocks, but you will have to space block. You would have to reduce their frequency by a factor of 100 in order to compensate for it. So you'll end up exactly where you started, doing 100 times larger blocks, but 100 times less frequent because it would require longer for everybody to reach. Does that make sense, guys?
1: Absolutely. So what can we do to fix this? So
2: I'm, I'm really glad that you asked it. So <laughs> it turns out that... The problem, even before saying what the solution is, let's identify that the problem is a networking problem. It's about sending a lot of data to a lot of people fast. And it's a really stupid problem to have It's 2019 because we already know how to send a lot of data to a lot of people fast, right? If you watch a 4K video on Netflix and you have to wait like three seconds while it's buffering, you're like, "Oh my god, why my internet is so bad?" Right? Got, we're so used to sending a lot of data to a lot of people. This is almost absurd to be the problem. The problem that we need to solve. Absolutely, right?
0: yeah. It kind of it, it's funny when you when you think about it that way. You're like, we send terabytes of data a second, you know, all around the world. But is it because of the decentralized nature? of these systems
2: that it's just slower? So you're right on the money. So the idea is that if I send it to you and you send it to the next like like that naive propagation is very, very slow. It just takes a lot of time. And people sometimes point out, oh, what if I connect to everybody else? If this is a perfectly connected network, it's actually worse, okay? Because then you have to split your bandwidth. You're sending to everybody at the same time. So it's even worse. If I send it to just one person, it goes fast and he can start helping me. So both of us send. so then to two, to four, to eight, like it goes. So the fact that you're getting connected to more people doesn't really help, but it is that peer to peer nature that slows propagation. Now there are techniques to help with this problem. There are ways that, oh, if I know all the transactions that are waiting to be put in the block, and you know all the transaction that needs to put in the block, then rather than send you the entire block and what is a block a block is a tiny header and just a long list of transactions rather than send it to you with all the transactions in it i would say i would just tell you which transaction in there i'll say i have here transaction five then 17 then 37 then 112 so i'll just tell you the number of the transaction or the hash there are several ways to do it but rather than put 500 byte of a transaction into the block i'll just represent it with four bytes. So I can really compress the block. I will take the block, replace each transaction, which a much smaller identifier, send it to you that compacted block. And if you know all the transactions, if we are in sync regarding the transactions, then you can reconstruct the original block. And voila, we save the trouble of actually sending on the wire the transactions.
0: Well, first off, that's amazing. I love I love that thought because in my mind like i'm so stuck in my mindset of well you know, actually how much how much data is one bitcoin transaction
2: it's like so the average bitcoin transaction today is 500, byte. 500 bytes 500 like, bytes it the could simplest, go so much smaller the, the simplest like regular transaction could be could be 250 bytes and are very very unique transaction that nobody ever uses that might be smaller, but average transaction is 500 bytes because you have a few inputs, you have a few outputs. So that's the order of magnitude. It could be slightly bigger, it could be smaller, but that's the number we're talking about. Okay. But the idea is that you can compact it by a factor of 100 using... The simplest technique, okay, this is like the easiest thing you can do, and you can compact it further by a factor of another 10x or 100x with slightly more sophisticated transact, um, techniques. You could. There is a way to take them and compress them all into a single piece of data called the Bloom Filter, which you can receive and figure out which transactions are in there. So the awesome. ability to do that is nothing We didn't invent that. Okay, this is being used already in Bitcoin and Bitcoin Cash. It's called compact block and thin blocks and graphene. They all are based on this idea. And it works right now at Bitcoin, at BTC, because there are three transactions per second in the system. So generally speaking, everybody knows all the transactions because they're not coming at such a huge volume. Mm -hmm. So these techniques already work. The problem is that if you go to thousands of transactions per second. Well, at that point, you have half a megabyte of transactions coming every second from all directions into the system. So you receive some transaction. I receive some. I tell my peers. You tell your peers. But we never get in sync because we continue to get more and more transactions. So if I try to use these techniques, I'll create a block. I'll say, oh, this is transaction 5 and 17, etc., etc. You'll receive it. And I'm like, I have no idea what is transaction 42 or 57. Send me the entire transaction, please. And that breaks the system, right? You have to ask for the entire transaction. We lost that ability to compact blocks. Does that make sense? Yes. Cool. So this, what is it that the blocks routes do? What is it that we do? We developed a provably neutral system that keeps everybody in sync regarding the transactions. Okay, so the, our idea is that so it's like it's we... like a toll road for or like a toll road or like a super highway for mm-hmm. it, 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 for only so blockchains? Or, or... Ori- originally I, so so we actually improved our design. So originally our idea was exactly that a super highway. Think of it as a really fat pipe. You give it to blocks out, it goes through everybody else. Super fast. But then we had to work really hard to keep it neutral. So then we slightly changed our design, and we said, "Oh, hold on! Transactions would propagate extremely fast, not through blocks, between me and you and Pete and everybody else. Just if like it doesn't need to go through blockchain. The blockchart can't stop it or reject it or slow it down. It goes peer to peer. But that works on the blocks if we are all in sync regarding the transactions." So think of it as like a pulse, like like, like a heartbeat. That, so we have our servers, and every second we give everybody the same updates. Oh, here are new transactions. Here are new transactions. Here are new transactions. So the important piece is that we keep everybody in sync regarding the transaction. And we build it in a provably neutral manner, which I won't dive super deep into. But the high-level idea is that if we reject for some reason or censor a transaction, then there are backup nodes run by other people who would keep it in sync. So if you're sending a transaction from North Korea and we're legally not allowed to touch it, okay, I can't touch it, I can't propagate it, well, it will go to somebody else over the peer-to-peer and he will send it to everybody else. So it might take two seconds slower or three seconds slower, but that's okay because we don't care about it being fast. We care about it being in sync. Nobody knows about it then everybody knows about it and this is what we do does that kind of make sense
0: that yeah. makes sense and i guess my my question would be what do you think is so pretend lightning network never exists there's no layer 2 it's just this layer 0 and layer 1 what is that theoretical limit of how many you know transactions could be settled on
2: on on chain is that a fair question it's a super fair question so let's start with not from an argument and a theoretical thing. Let's talk like the thing itself. We took the Bitcoin code, the actual Bitcoin code, end-to-end, and we deployed like, 330 nodes all around the world with 30 different miners, And we pumped a lot of transactions into that system. And the only change that we made was to use blocks route. And we, or we did two changes. We allowed it to use block route, and we allowed it to do very large blocks very fast. So that system was capable of processing 100 to 150 megabyte blocks every minute. So we played with both parameters, both larger blocks and at shorter time intervals. And that network works. That network processes over 1,000 transactions per second on average. It peaks at at above 3,000 transactions per second. So we know that the level of a few thousand transactions per second, we know we got this, this works. Now, the problem, what what prevent us from taking it from thousands to tens of thousands and hundreds of thousands? Probably two things. One, what we did, like we built blocks routes, but we didn't do the super sophisticated techniques in order to compress it as fast, like as hard as we can. Rather, we took the simpler technique, just replace the transaction with the IDs because it's simple, it works, it doesn't have bugs. I can deploy it, see it works, etc. And nobody needs more than 1,000 transactions per second like today. Maybe in a year and a half they would, but today you still don't need that. So we can do better. We did one technique which was easier to do because we, we wanted to see that it works. We can do better between 10x and 100x. That's one thing that we can do about it. But also there is just the code of the, the node that runs it. Nodes are written by software engineers that a lot of times their major background is cryptography. So they know way more about me on cryptography, but they are not necessarily the best software engineers, let's say that. You can even see that, like, you should hear what the Bitcoin core devs say about...
3: What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat?
2: The original Satoshi code, and kind of go, oh my God, this guy doesn't know anything about writing like APIs et etc, et etc. I have seen architects and software engineers look at the Bitcoin core code and say exactly the same thing okay these like they're not writing a code at the same level of architecture as you would see at Amazon and Facebook and Google, etc. They do make it super, super fast for the three transactions per second. So for the current state, it works. But if you try to make it bigger, all sorts of stuff they haven't optimized for starts breaking. So these are the two things. I don't know to tell you that. Can we, can we do 50,000 transactions per second? I think we can do 50. Can we do 500,000 transactions per second? Okay, that's... I will. I don't want... We'll need to test that. We'll have to see what breaks and improve it, et cetera, et cetera. And does blocks answer block- the question? Oh,
0: absolutely answers. And just a quick follow up is like, does blocks route work on any blockchain, or is it just Bitcoin or?
2: So Blockstart is protocol agnostic. we're really a faster internet for blockchain, okay so we work underneath the blockchain. if the blockchain is layer one and there are layer two solutions, we' we'll work underneath it. we're a layer zero solution. so we work with all blockchains okay like the idea of synchronizing nodes regarding transactions has doesn't doesn't has nothing to do with what consensus do you have if it's proof of stake or proof of work, et etc et etc specifically. We're already being used in Ethereum mainnet, okay? Like we have 50% majority of the hash power in Ethereum had already used blocks Route on mainnet. Um, two weeks after we did that, you might have seen that miners decided to increase the gas limit from 8 million gas to 10 million gas, so they increased scalability by 25% for the first time in the past two years. So we have, all the big pools interested in what we're doing. They tested it. They ran it in their infrastructure. They wanted to see how good it works. We pl- published our results on that. And within 10 days or so, like at the beginning of November, we have 70% of the hash rate in Ethereum waiting to use. So we go live on November 1st, and we have 70% of the hash rate waiting to use our latest code on mainnet. So not only does it theoretically work, Blocks are currently supporting BTC, BCH, and ETH, and it supports all the main nets and some of the test nets and a few testnets of our own. So we support, our idea is to support all blockchains. One last comment on this, we also struck deals with all the major Asian blockchains. So Ontology and Quantum and Conflux and Metadium, all of these guys were like, oh, so you solve the scalability like, for us? Let's just integrate that into the clients underneath it. And like, okay, we work on top of it. So we uh, the idea for Blockstart is to scale all blockchains.
1: That's so fascinating. It's like, uh, so we could just basically call you the civil engineer of crypto. Uri Klarman, creating this <laughs> super highway for blocks.
2: I love it. That That is kind of cool. I'll, I'll I'll wear that title proudly. Excellent. Um, one thing, so this is what we do on the technical level. Okay, this is the idea. Um, we Wait, You haven't notes. told us already? There's more? I want to tell you because I think you like it. Is, so you brought up the idea of the price, et cetera, et cetera. Usually, I don't talk about the business side on, on these kind of interviews, et cetera. But people often ask me like, okay, so the tech is great. How does Blockstoute make money? What's the business model around it? And you could think that the naive solution would be, oh, great. Well, we support all blockchains. Let's, I don't know, charge the miners and the pools. They pay us per block or something like that or a subscription. And voila, you have the business model. You have somebody who pays, et cetera, et cetera. But this is a really terrible, terrible, terrible business model. Because as soon as money becomes big and we start to make large profits, we give an incentive to the miners and pools trying not to use us, right? They're like, oh, if this is like, rather than pay Blockstack a million dollar per year, how about I deploy my own Blockstrout? How about Echo? Uh, like, we, it kind of like opens the door to a competitor to say, "Oh, I do exactly like Blockstrout, but I cut like fifty percent discount." So then it's a race to the bottom, and it's kind of like, so. So we have a great tech, but it's not that trivial to build a business model around it. And then thinking about it further we realize that what we're creating here is common good, right? We scale all blockchains, okay? Everybody benefits from it. How do we build it in such a way that we give it away for free to everybody? Everybody should benefit from it. Users should pay much lower fees because they don't have to out one another. Miners make, even if fees are 10 times smaller, they make 100 times more in fees in total because They're processing thousands of transactions per second, etc. So, we had to think really, really nicely how to build the business model around it to support all of that.
0: eToro is one of the largest trading platforms in the world with over $1 trillion in trading volume on the platform every year. And they're some of our good friends, and they're a great sponsor. US customers can trade the most popular crypto assets, and your fees are extremely transparent. So, if you're not ready to trade yet, Uh, You could also practice building your portfolio with the eToro virtual trading feature. They give you $100,000 of virtual money and you could start playing around with it and not have to risk any of your real money before you get comfortable with the markets. And best of all, you can connect with 12 million other eToro traders around the world, kind of like a social network for trading, to discuss charts and all things crypto. So go ahead, create an account today at etoro.com slash crypto 101. That helps us, that helps you, that helps them and makes everything possible here if you guys use that link. So guys, start building your portfolio the smart way. Etoro is crypto trading made easy. All right, back to the show. So I want you to paint us a picture of kind of the future that you envision because I feel like there's three camps. Uh, There will only be Bitcoin camp number one, Uh, there will only be Bitcoin and maybe two smart contract platforms. So max five cryptocurrencies. And then you have the extreme side where they say, we're going to have hundreds of thousands of cryptocurrencies. Where on the spectrum would you
2: say that, that you fall? So I used to be in camp number two. Okay. My idea, so let's spend some time talking about it. I had a really interesting discussion with and Taylor, the CEO of Flexa. I don't know if you guys... So fluid, Tyler Spalding, kind of yeah, like he's been on the show. Yeah. Okay, so like, like really nice. Yeah, I, I, I met him two days ago in the Pantera Summit event. Um, um, haven't met him before, but really, not, like, really enjoyed my conversation with him. So we were just talking about it that Bitcoin and crypto has several value propositions, which is not just one thing you have the ability to transact without a middleman so nobody can censor you that's one value proposition the idea of a hard money right capped amount of deflationary money that's number 2 that's a different value proposition the ability to transact cheaply right without paying high fees is a third one and it can come with or without the other two um you have programmable money, right? You could do like an escrow stuff, like all these smart contracts, all these stuff that you can do. That's a different one. So you have all these value propositions and at least Bitcoin, just Bitcoin, doesn't capture all of that. Why? Because they're proudly saying we're not going to do fast, cheap, reliable on-chain transactions. We're not trying to do that. It's not about making transactions fast and cheap. It's about being world money and the backup, et cetera, et cetera. This is the important stuff, and that is not as important. And I'm not sure, I like anybody can have their own opinion what is more important than the other. So, and programmable money, well, you can see Ethereum kind of like, Ethereum is much more programmable than Bitcoin can ever be. Scripts on Bitcoin are not that sophisticated. It's very hard to do anything sophisticated with them. So, at least, well, you have Bitcoin, and you have Ethereum, and now you have a few others. Now. If you think about the like the privacy blockchains, Monero or Zcash, if if you can do what you can do, like if you can't do that on Bitcoin, then you need either the Monero or Zcash. If you don't, then you don't. But it's kind of like that's another value proposition which might not be captured by by Bitcoin. So I used to think I used to be in camp number two. There are a few value propositions. There is no need for so many blockchains out there. So the blockchains that make sense, create strong networks, have all of that, etc. cetera, there will be a few, five. I don't know, maybe three, maybe five, maybe seven, but that order of magnitude, not too many because there aren't too many value propositions. But after the last year that I've spent, like we are talking with the Asian blockchains as well and a few other places, I think geography plays a larger role than people understand. There is going to be, or there are going to be, a blockchain or several blockchains in Asia, not because there, ne- there necessarily needs to be blockchains there. They might have share the same value proposition, but they're not part, a strong part of the Ethereum community. They're building something else. Why? Because they don't live the same place. The forums aren't in the right language, et cetera, et cetera. So I think they're going to be not only just the five or so, they're going to be slightly more because you'll see some in Africa, you'll see some like in the Arab world, you'll see some in Asia, etc. So geography will also play a part, and this is how I see things play along. What do you guys think?
1: Yeah, I completely agree. Um, Because essentially, aside from just the tech and the blockchains, one of the things that's really overlooked is the community. And like you said, the language it's in, the time zone it's in, I have another little side project and I have people across, you know, 14 different time zones. We have a chance to meet once a month. It's very, very difficult. But they, in their little own microcosms, they get a lot of work done in their own time. So for that reason, you're going to have a dominant blockchain in Eastern Europe. You're going to have a dominant blockchain in the UK. You may even have a a dominant blockchain in South America, even though they share the same time zones as here in the U.S., like New York and L.A. But the language is different. You're going to have a dominant Portuguese blockchain. And that's all OK, because these people that are engineering these things, like yourself, realize the importance of interoperability. And I think the real future of blockchain is no one's going to know they're using it. The real future of cryptocurrency is no one's going to know they're using it. It all just happens under the hood.
2: So so first of all, I'm smiling because um, we're like a blockchain company. We're not really a blockchain company. We can talk about that. But you can see many in the space like, oh, remote working. You have like one developer here and one developer there. And we're like, no. That's never going to work. You want to ship a product that works and scale blockchain, etc. You get everybody to sit at the same space. So if I have an issue, I pick up, like I ask the other guy, oh, what what did you do there? Rather than send an email, but it's 8 p.m. for that guy. He will only answer me in his morning, which is my midnight. Nothing gets done. Nothing 100%. could get done. 100%. So, so um, that make me actually like smile on that. Like If you want stuff to get done, you need everybody to sit in the same You need room. to centralize. Getting,
0: like, you need to reset. Centralize, <laughs> not decentralized, but
2: re-centralize. I think so too, because the idea is not decentralization per se, right? It's about aligning incentives. About, it's about not allowing to collude. Not like it has to be done the right way, but decentralization for the sake of decentralization isn't it. You want, you want the value proposition, right? You want nobody to be able to censor. You want the ability to do this and that and this and that. You don't want, oh, decentralization for the sake of decentralization. You want to own your data, okay? That's also okay. Think Brave Browser, et cetera. All these make tons of sense, but it's not about decentralization per se. That isn't the goal. It is a strong tool yes. to achieve that goal.
0: Decentralization is a means to an end. Exactly. It's definitely a helpful way for people to start thinking about this stuff. And, you know, would you say, what what do you think is the most exciting aspect of cryptocurrency in general? Like if you were to have to choose maybe one value proposition or one
2: aspect Hmm. of
0: the, the space that you work in, what would you say just is most overwhelmingly significant?
2: So I was just... It's a hard question. Okay. Like, like there are a bunch of stuff with, you know, like, oh, should I go with this and that? I'm not, I'm not sure if I, even if I have like, oh, the thing that I know that is the most important, but, um, I was just in the presentation of the former head of the CFTC, you know, I'm um, crypto dad. I honestly can't pronounce his name. Uh, like That guy. I know exactly who you're talking about google him while i speak and like i i, I don't know like, like it's, it's i i always mess it up anyway he was talking oh, giancarlo. about giancarlo yeah giancarlo i always mess it up so he was talking about how in 2008 in the economic crisis one of the reasons the come um, the go- the U.S. government couldn't just like bail out everybody out of like oh how much money do we need to give to Mary Lynch or whoever you know that they didn't have insight into what are the liabilities like how much each one has okay so in retrospect ten years later they saw that at the time they thought they needed four hundred billion dollar to save one bank which they can do but that's one bank, multiply that by 70 or so, you're moving into the world of several trillions of dollars. Like, oh, that, that's an invalid like course of action. They, they just couldn't do it. But in retrospect, they found it wasn't 400 billion, it was something like 8 billion or 10. I don't remember the exact number. You can maybe find that um, um online. I think Coindex uh, did a piece on that. But if they knew, if they had clarity, if they, if that was on a blockchain, okay, if the operations of the major economic actors were gave clarity to who has how much, rather than just all sorts of weird accounting games, you have to guess around them, then they could have prevented the two the the 2008 crisis. They were at the spot. They identified, and they say, oh. We're not going to do this because it's too costly. But in red was like, it wasn't. They could have just like spent much less money, much, less, I think like 100x less money overall that was lost in, in, in the crisis. If they had clarity and information about the real state and the real, um, um, how how would you say that? Yeah, The, account the real balances, balances of the ledger. The balance is kind of like, yeah, this is a, like, how, I'm, I'm blanking out. The, the asset-to-liability ratio. Kind of, exactly, liability, exactly. So, like, if they actually knew the liability of each one rather than the gross liability of all of them combined, then the game would have been different completely. complete. So yeah. that is something which I – that's not my thing, right? That's not what I focus on. That isn't usually what I think of. But that's a new thing which I heard just, again, two days, and I like, wow. Think about that. Think how blockchain could have changed that story. And think yeah. about people in Detroit and think like how it looks today versus how it looked like in 2005. And like this, is little, like several, like there uh, are several big cities in the U.S. which like really turned to somewhat of ghost towns if you ever, like if you visit them. And like, wow, these people had suffered for no good reason. We could have totally avoided that.
0: Yeah. Well, I I think maybe the the last question we have, since we only got a few more minutes here, um, you know, one of the things we like to ask everybody is to give a shout out to another company in the space that you're really inspired by.
2: So it's funny. Okay. So we are not a blockchain company. We don't do our own blockchain. We're not trying to compete. We're enablers. So we do have a company that we look up to, but it's not a blockchain company. So, Blockchart is a blockchain distribution network, okay, a BDN, which is the idea is that we send data fast to everybody, and we are very, very inspired, inspired by Akamai, okay, the original CDN, right, a content the content book. distribution network. So, the way Akamai, who, we have similar similarities with them. I, mean, I actually know, like, the co-founder and like their VP of R&D, and like, about, like, we look up to them. These are the people that back in the 90s, like 96 or so, said, Oh, it's stupid for you to go to the other side of the world to give a picture because then your website will load so slowly how about we put all that content very close to where you live so anytime you ask for something it doesn't give it from bring it from the original source it has like small backups everywhere so you can take it from there and this is i think the company we're kind of like we're very inspired by these are the people who allowed the internet to grow to where it is today and we're like oh how can we take that attitude that vision these networking techniques to the world of blockchains because this space is totally missing out on a lot of value because they don't know that these stuff exist.
0: Awesome. Uri, yeah, I love that. We've never had that shout out uh, before. Shout out to Akamai. (laughs) Shout out to Akamai. We'll tag him in this. That was Uh, brilliant. Uri, I mean, Pete, do you have anything, uh, last questions you want to ask Uri before we let him go?
1: Yeah, I guess just one last thing and it's the typical one we always ask. If this is the very first podcast that someone was listening trying to get into crypto, what would you want them to know?
2: Wow. Um I think I would like them to know that the crypto ecosystem right now is filled with a lot of people shouting and the reason that they're shouting is because everybody is invested in something and they want that value to go up. So everybody, like, oh, this is a cool thing, cool thing like all of that and it's nothing. That's tons of fluff. People shouting about some of the, like, don't take it too seriously. Do your everybody say do your own research. Like kind of understand the tech, understand that most of the things out there don't make sense. What, like, we, you know how many Ethereum killers are out there right now that are going to be launched? Like, why do we need seven Ethereum killers? Is having something which is slightly technically better is going to replace all the network? Like, the fact that people build cool tech, which wasn't tested before, doesn't necessarily mean that cool tech is actually useful and helpful. Be very conservative in, oh, I think this is valuable. I think this isn't valuable. So don't start investing in a bunch of stuff that you don't know anything about. And that makes no sense because yeah, it might go up in price, but just as rapidly it will lose that price and you'll have like what we have at 2017. So figure out what makes sense. If people tell you something is good, try to figure out why it's actually good. Don't take anybody's word.
1: Yeah. A hundred percent. And value is determined just like anywhere else in the world by supply and demand. So if it doesn't matter, if something's the greatest thing in the world. If no one cares about it, it's not going to have any value.
2: That I agree. But on on the upside of that, these, like on the context of stuff out there, the stuff, the, the fact that something is valued and increased in value or something means nothing because markets out there are completely manipulated. They're small, they're unregulated, a bunch of like shady exchanges all around the world. So I agree with you. It has no, like real value is determined by the market. But don't take too much to heart what Mark. Coin market capital,
1: tells Yes, that's a, a great point to add. Thank you for putting that in as well.
0: No, I, I love that. Um, guys, you got to just protect yourself. I think at the end of the day, that's really what it comes down to, both, you know, risk management. We always talk about, you know, using stop losses if you get into a trade, know where you're wrong. And so I think that's the kind of stuff that Uri's saying here is that, you know, if you're in a position, know when to get out, but also know if you should even get in that position in the first place, just because they're touting themselves and all this marketing hype, they're going to change the world of the next big thing. Really do some diligence and, and, and just really uh, know what you're getting yourself into. So Uri, thank you for sharing that with, uh, with the good people here at Crypt Nation. Where could we follow you on thank Twitter? You for having me. Yeah, absolutely. Or, wh- how do we stay in touch?
2: So first of all, um, follow route Labs. okay? Like, we call BlocksRoute because we route blocks. So kind of like, look, BlocksRoute, you'll find me, you'll find the, the company, et cetera. So just find us on Twitter. We try to not just send out fluff, but actually, oh, what's the report? How fast we made things? And these kind of like more high-quality stuff. Also, one last thing, just as we're wrapping up here, we're actually... It is in our business model to allow to people to invest in us. We're now like reaching out and we're oh, allowed to. So our current investors are investing. Um, the idea is that, I touched slightly on it earlier, but the idea is that we scale everybody for free, but we have additional services that allow for very large operation. If you're doing thousands of transactions per second, etc., I can save you costs by order of magnitude. So there are millions, possibly billions of dollars there. And... We want it to make sense for blockchain to capture that value because then we're the bad guys. Then everybody would hate us because we're leeching value. So we build the system in a way. Oh, everybody can invest in it. And the money goes to whoever wants to invest. So I don't want to shill it here, etc. You can find it's probably like out there, like whether Twitter or website, etc. Is
0: it like a Regulation A plus offering or a crowdfund type thing?
2: So- So so I'm glad. So we wanted to do a Reg A plus. Reg A plus for those out there who don't know means anybody can invest, not just accredited investor, not just people that have a million dollar at the bank. And we've been working. And this is a security. So if you buy into us, you get a common stock. You have liquidation right, which means that if we're being bought, you get a small part of that as well. But the most important idea: money doesn't go to Blockstrat. Money go to whoever to whoever holds our token. And we hold most of the tokens because this is our revenue. This is how we make money. But we want others to hold it as well. Miners hold it, pools invest it, developers and protocols, etc. So we wanted to do a regular plus so anybody could invest. But we've been working on this for since the end of 2016. And eventually, prior to the props and block stack approval recently by the SEC, we said, screw it, we're going to do a reg D this year. Okay. So it's happening literally like within two weeks from now. Accredited investors can invest right now, and Reggae Plus will happen a year from now. So, anybody—we want everybody to invest—but legally, we didn't make it in time for 2019, so that will happen in 2020.
0: Well, it sounds super interesting. Uh, I'll be looking out for the Reggae Plus when it comes down the uh, down the pipeline next year. Uri, thanks for joining us today, uh, man.
2: Thank you so much for having me. That was fun. <laughs> I it's had been a lot of pleasure. Let's go order some pizza
0: and have lunch. <laughs> ciao everyone thanks for joining